All right, good evening, everyone. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be here um, with all of you. And I guess the first thing that I'd like to do, obviously, first thing, first thing, we'll go ahead and we'll pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the gift of being here, for the gift of your presence, for the gift of your love. We just thank you for just all that you do in our lives. We ask that you might allow us just for the next next hour, hour and a half or so, just to settle our hearts, to set aside everything that we still have going on, getting ready for Christmas, just to put that all aside and be able to just focus on you. And we, uh, we entrust this evening to our blessed mother as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, and the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, first thing I'd like to do this evening is just to thank all of you for being here. Um, I know, and just in general, your time is precious, life is busy, but especially right now, this time of year, right, it's, it's crazy, right, in the middle of this crunch time for Christmas. Um, at this point, of course, we're just a few days away from the big celebration. I'm sure some people are thinking about the final details of their travel plans, Others, like my mom, are like running around the house frantically trying to get it clean for all the guests she'll be hosting on Christmas Day. And if you know my mom, don't tell her I said that. And if you're anything like me, right, you just might be stressing out a little bit about getting Christmas presents. Right? Now, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, I want to clarify exactly where my stress with getting Christmas presents comes from. It has very little to do with the fact that I still have one or two gifts still to purchase. Right? Rather, most of my stress has to do with whether or not to purchase a gift for certain people in the first place. So I'll ask you this. Do you ever have it where you see something that would be just the absolute perfect gift for a friend of yours? Someone that you enjoy being with, but maybe you're not super close to. You know you might you know, probably be seeing them over Christmas. You want to do something nice for them. So you think about getting it, but then you realize, too, you've never really exchanged gifts with this person before. So you start wondering if actually giving that person that gift would actually backfire and make things more awkward between the two of you because you'd be giving them a gift. They would have nothing for you, which would make you know, them kind of feel guilty. Right? Have you ever been in a situation kind of like that? Right? Or the flip side of the coin, where you've been, given someone, you're, you've been given a gift by somebody, they come up and they're like, here you go. And you open it and you really, really like it. But again, as you're opening it, you're panicking because you're like, oh my gosh, I don't have anything to give to this person. Or when you get a gift from somebody, like you kind of have it for them, and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to leave it in the car, and then I'll wait. I'll see if they have a gift for me, and if they do, then I'll be like, oh, you know, I forgot, I have one for you too, it's in the car. But if they don't pull one out, then you'll just leave it in the car, right? Maybe this is true for some of you. Either that or a lot of you probably think I'm like freaking out, you're like, oh wow, Father really overanalyzes things, he gets way too stressed out. The final situation that, that really freaks me out with gift giving has to do with the fact that when I know I for sure will be exchanging gifts with another person, but I don't know quite how much to spend on them. This ends up kind of being similar to, you know, just a similar version of whether to get a gift or not. Or if, let's say I like make somebody this like homemade snowman ornament out of popsicle sticks and cardboard from a Cheerio box, and they open it and they're like, wow, thanks, Father, that's so nice. And then I open their box and find a brand new 40-inch plasma flat-screen Bluetooth-compatible TV, right? I'd be pretty darn embarrassed. and like, oh, well, the snowman, you can, you can move his arm. It'll wave at you, you know. Like, same thing goes, right? If I would get something really expensive for them and they would buy me something simple, simple, 
I'd worry that then they would feel bad for not getting me something in the same value. They're going, I don't know if all of you experience the same source of pressure around this time of year. If you do, then everything that I'm going to say going forward will make a lot of sense. If you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, I think I'm just crazy as I'm saying this. First thing I will say is I envy you greatly. But my hope is that at least explaining this and laying it out to you right now, you'll at least be able to, to understand it and, and follow along. I think I'd sum it up simply by saying, when I receive something from another, I want to be able to return the favor. I want to make sure that in life I hold up my end of the bargain and that I don't take advantage of another person or appear ungrateful. I think most of us would probably share these sentiments. Well, tonight I want to propose that when we have these experiences of wanting to return the favor, I think we frequently act upon them by show, trying to show our gratitude or by doing certain things for others. And in doing so, that we especially try to discern what will be most pleasing to them in return. And then we make every effort to do this. This is the case with our friends and with our families. But here's where I think things get interesting. And I'll, at least for myself, I'll admit that I don't always respond with the same fervor and to show my thanks to the one person who has given me infinitely more than anyone else. Infinitely more than someone fictitiously giving me a 40-inch flat-screen TV. In fact, somebody could give me my own personal IMAX theater, and it would still pale in comparison to what this individual has given to me. Of course, I'm talking about God. God has given us so much, yet I don't see people fumbling around or stressing out about giving God the perfect gift in return. Again, I'll feel horrible if someone gives me a great gift and I have nothing prepared to give them. But with God, sometimes it's like, oh yeah, God gave me some, eh. I think sometimes we just kind of shrug our shoulders and go about our lives, right? I go to Mass on Sunday, I try to be a good person, okay. But God wants more. What I want to propose tonight is that the greatest gift that God gives us, the greatest gift will ever be given by anyone, but the greatest gift that God gives us is his love and his providence, which of course includes salvation, and Jesus' gift of his very life. Well, one very important aspect of this gift is our vocation. The fact that God cares so much about us that he has planned out a beautiful and joyful life for us and that he invites us along to encounter him on this adventure, to follow with him. This is true of our big picture vocation, whether we're called to marriage or priesthood or religious life or a dedicated, consecrated single life. It's also true on a smaller scale, right? About how God, each day, day by day, calls us to certain things. How often do we view our callings as gifts from God? Yet that's what they truly are. See, God loves us immensely. The whole reason why we were created and why we exist is for the sake of being loved by God and loving God in return. Understanding this and believing this is a foundation to establishing and deepen our relationships with Him. Because God loves us, he wants us to be fulfilled. He wants us to experience joy and peace in our lives. Now, of course, this doesn't necessarily mean that everything will always be easy if we follow God's will, but it will be worth it, and our sacrifices won't be meaningless. They will bear fruit. And because of this truth of God's love and his faithfulness to wanting what's best for us at every moment, we can have absolute confidence that whatever God calls us to is what is best for us. And because of this, your vocation, whatever it is, is truly God's greatest gift of love for you. So who wants to guess how it is that we can lovingly show God that we appreciate this gift 
and at the same time, give him a gift in return that he will value. How do we do that? It's a three-letter word, and it starts with a Y. Yes. Simply by saying yes to whatever it is that we're called to. Now, I realize this is a whole lot easier said than done. First, because a sermon of exactly what it is that we're called to in life, even on a day-to-day basis, isn't always clear. And it can also be difficult because saying yes to our lifelong vocations, our particular vocations, saying yes to this is not a one-time decision that carries us through for the rest of our lives. So when I say that I think sometimes we can be more concerned over getting the right gift for somebody who we know is going to give us a really nice or really expensive present, that we can be more concerned over this than returning the favor to God, I'm 100% including myself in that. You might stop and say, think like, well, wait, why would he have to struggle with this, right? Like, I've already entered into my vocation as a priest. So since I've already said yes, since I've already entered into that, why would I struggle with it, right? Every single day, I have to continue to say yes. Wouldn't it be easier for me to take a nap in the afternoon rather than going and visiting a nursing home? I have to continue to say yes, right? It isn't just a one-time thing. It's true in the priesthood, in religious life, In marriage, in single life, no matter what it is, we have to continue to say yes. To say yes to God's gift, to give him the gift of our yes in return. It's a daily challenge that is placed before us. I'll never forget hearing a story of a young man who began to feel God placing this call on his heart to the priesthood. He thought about it for a while. He began praying about it more and more. And then finally came the big moment when he was going to tell his parents about it. He didn't know how this was going to go. His dad was pretty indifferent about it. His mom wasn't so indifferent. She wasn't happy. She wanted grandkids. She did not want him becoming a priest. And she told him this. So at this point, he was put in a very difficult situation that I know I certainly wouldn't want to be in. But he decided, no, this calling is strong, and that he had to continue to pray about it. Well, as time went on, he felt more and more convicted of this calling. And finally, he decided that in order to be true to himself and to be true to God, that he had to take the leap of faith and to enter seminary and to see how things would go. So one evening, he walked into the living room where his mom was. He sat down next to her, and he informed her that he was planning on entering seminary in the fall. This announcement was met with silence. Then after a very awkward moment... His mom blurted out that she too had made a decision and that her decision was that she had decided that she wanted to buy him a new car, but that she was only going to give him this new car if he did not go to seminary in the fall and if he would stop thinking about the priesthood altogether. You guys know where he was next fall? I'll admit, I don't know where he was next fall, but I do know that wherever he was, he got there in his brand new sports car. This, of course, is a rough story. It's extremely disappointing. First of all, because his mom was unable to open up her heart to understand that, you know, maybe it's possible that God has a different plan in mind for his happiness than the plan that she thinks needs to happen for him to be happy. But what's even more disappointing is that in the end, this guy valued the car more than he valued following God's call. This, of course, is tragic. Yet on a smaller scale, I think a lot of us can fall into the trap of loving the world and the things of the world, the thing the world has to offer on a daily basis more than we value God. It can be difficult to always follow God because oftentimes I think the rewards and the fruits of working for God 
right? When we put ourselves out there and say, God, I'm going to do this for you, the rewards and the fruits of that are things that we see down the road, things that we see in the future. We don't necessarily experience their benefits right away. Whereas the pleasures of the world, they're right there. They're tangible. We can see it. So the issue at hand for this guy with the new car, as well as for us each day, is that I think we don't always realize the value of what it is that we've been given by God. In light of this, my first real main point that I want for us to think about this evening, especially as we enter into prayer, is that if we want to follow God's will, if we want to be able to say yes to our vocations each day, that it's important that we frequently in prayer take stock of all it is that God has given to us, to be grateful for this, so that we'll be able to understand on some level the value of what it is that he offers us at all times. It's only when we understand the surpassing value of his love and his designs of love for us that we'll be able to say yes to these plans and in turn reject the lesser options that the world offers. Without gratitude and insight into all that God lavishes upon us, we're going to undervalue it. And we'll end up saying yes to the car every time. When I stop and I, and I try to think about what is it that God has given me, what I have to be thankful for, what I should desire to show appreciation for through my life and through my actions, there's one moment in my life that stands out in particular as one of the most profound moments of my life. And I want to share this story with you this evening because my hope is that, is that in sharing to you that, that it'll end up applying. Um, it happened one morning when I was in my final year of preparation for the priesthood. I was a transitional deacon at the time, um, and I was studying in Rome. And an incredible opportunity to be there. And a few days before this life-changing event, all the priests and deacons at the college, at the seminary I was studying, we were told that the Vatican needed the assistance of priests and deacons to distribute communion at an upcoming mass with Pope Benedict. That was going to be taking place inside St. Peter's Basilica, the largest church in the world. I was like, this is awesome. So I immediately, I mean, I jumped at the change. And a few days later, I found myself inside the world's largest church, you know, just like, whoa, like just in awe, getting ready to have mass with the Pope, during which I would be distributing communion. So I was super excited. I knew that this would be an experience that words couldn't even come close to explaining. But even all that could not have prepared me for what was going to unfold over the next two hours. There ended up being close to 50 priests and deacons that had signed up to help with the special tasks. And you might be like, whoa, like 50 people distributing communion? The basilica can fit over 60,000 people, right? So it's huge. So we were directed to this side chapel as we came and we had our, our tickets and, you know, the ushers are, you know, directing people everywhere. They direct us all. And we're here like probably about an hour before the mass. They direct us to the side chapel and we're all just kind of hanging out there. And then we start to get vested and put our vestments on, get ready. And this master of ceremonies comes in and he says, okay. He's like, fathers, deacons, pay very close attention. He's explaining exactly how things were going to work. He said we would be seated behind the main altar. And then when it came time for the offertory and the preparation of the gifts, that we would get up, we would proceed towards the altar in a single file line, that we would be handed a ciborium, or the, the golden dish that the hosts are in. And then you know, it would be filled, of course, with unconsecrated hosts, and that we would form lines along the sides of the altar. Right? And that we would be standing there holding these ciboriums all throughout the Eucharistic prayer. And at first it seemed like really odd to me. I'm like, wait, we're going to do what? Like, why aren't the ciboriums going to be on the altar? We're going to be holding them? And, and like a lot of the priests were all like looking around and, you know, the deacons. And, but right away he goes, hey, let, let me explain. You know, he must have picked up that we think it's, it's strange. But he said, do you think we're going to be able to fit 50 ciboriums on an altar? I'm like, oh yeah, good point. So <clears throat> he said, you know, there's a special thing that, that they do here. And the final directive that he gave was that following the consecration of the hosts, when it came time to distribute the Eucharist, 
that, that we were not to receive communion right away at that point. That we were to follow whatever usher would come up to us, go to whatever section we were at, and that finally after we finished it, we would all proceed to go make our way back to that chapel where we were actually at at that point, and that once we got there, that then we could turn to each other, you know, and give each other communion. So we're like, all right, you know, that makes a lot of sense. All right, off we go. So we went, got to our seats, and, you know, we're all just like, like eager with like anticipation. All of a sudden, like this blaring organ starts and we're all like getting to it and everyone stands up and also like, oh my gosh, that's the Pope. You know, it was super cool. Finally, the time came for us to, you know, to get to work. So we got up, we were hitting our ciboriums and we proceeded to make these rolls along the side of the altar. When the time came for the Eucharistic prayer to begin, the whole congregation knelt down, but we remained like standing there on the altar. And I was like, this is, this is unique. This is kind of cool. And it was at that moment that, that all of a sudden as I'm looking down at this, I'm looking down at my hands that I realized what was about to happen. I re- my hands were going to become a living altar. And I realized that this bread that's in my hands, when the Holy Father, when Pope Benedict says, you know, this is my body which should be given up for you, that in my hands that bread would be substantially changed into the living body of Christ. And like when that happened, I was just staring. I was just like, no way. Right? From that moment until the time that I was led off to distribute communion to whatever section I'd be led to, I just stared at these hosts and I realized, like, like I'm an adoration, right? Like, this is my own personal time of adoration with Jesus in my hands. I was like, this could not get any better. Well, I was, like, snapped out of my time of adoration when this usher came up to me. He's like, all right, you know, come, follow me. And as we're walking along, he kind of just whispers to me, he's like, oh, he's like, we're going to a very special area. He's like, you will be distributing communion to the dignitaries. I was like, whoa. And like, he like told me, he's like, there's going to be like princesses and dukes and earls and counts and countesses and these like high ranking influential people. I was like, this is cool. Like the women, they had like jewelry with like the biggest gems I've ever seen. The gentlemen, they had these like super fine, like tailored tuxes. Even the way these people like walked up, I was like, wow, this is like, this is the big time, you know? And as I was giving them communion, all I could think to myself was, I was like, this is incredible. Like, this, what is happening right now, this does not happen every day. And that, that was like the biggest thing in my mind. I was like, man, like, like take this in right now. Soak this up. Remember this. Because this, like, this is never going to happen again. This does not happen every day. Finished giving them communion, and I followed the usher back to that side chapel where we were before Mass. And once we got there, they said, okay, okay, you know, priests, deacons. Go ahead and, you know, you can give each other communion now. So I turned to the priest next to me, right, and he presented the host to me. He said, the body of Christ. <clears throat> of course, I said, amen, as I, you know, brought my tongue forward to receive. And at that precise moment that the Eucharist hit my tongue, I felt this overwhelming sense of peace. And the Lord gave me this incredibly profound realization that I was being given my Lord. Body, blood, soul, and divinity at that moment into my very being. That God himself was literally going to be alive within me. And that this does happen every single day, every single time that I come to Mass. I had just, like moments before, had one of the coolest experiences of my life, and the Lord allowed me to realize this does not happen every day. And I was like, this is one of the coolest moments of my entire life. And this is like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And then moments later, the Lord goes, guess what? I'm going to give you something even better that maybe you don't realize is even better because it happens every day, but that's how much I love you. And that goes for all of us. God's life is given to us every single day to consume. I mean, think about the most profound moment in your life, the greatest, most exciting moment. It probably only happened once. 
And receiving the Lord in the Eucharist, it can seem so ordinary because it happens all the time. But that's better. Whatever you're thinking of right now, I'm sure it's awesome. I don't want to be insulting of that moment. It is awesome. Whatever it is, you're awesome. It's an awesome moment. But God coming to you in the Eucharist is the coolest thing that could ever happen. And it happens every single day. And if we keep that in mind, that this gift that we're freely given at every Mass, my hope is, is realizing that might help us to be more open to feeling drawn to respond to this gift with the gift of our own lives. This gift of the Eucharist, of course, is given to us at Mass, but outside of Mass as well when we go to adoration. Right? In just a few minutes, we'll be kneeling down before God himself, who will be present and comes to us. He doesn't come to us because he wants something from us, but he wants to give something to us. He wants to give us his love. And my hope is that by grasping the depth of this love tonight, that we will want to return it. Not out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of guilt, but because our hearts are drawn by love to love. The perfect example of someone who received God's love, who received his plan, who knew that she was loved, and responded to this with her own gift back to God, of course, was Mary. She received the angel's message, and immediately upon receiving her calling, she said yes. She didn't pause and think, wow, this would affect her previous plans and dreams for her life. She didn't wait for the picture to be perfectly clear and all the details to be laid out in front of her. God said that he had a plan for her, and she lovingly gave her yes without demanding that she know all the ins and the outs and all the details first. I'll admit right now that I would have had a very hard time doing this if, if, you know, if God would come to me and just be like, boom, here it is. Maybe you even struggle to say yes in little ways or maybe even in big ways in your own life. The question that we might want to ask is this. What was it that made Mary capable of saying yes to God's plan for her future without knowing exactly where it would lead her? Or maybe to put it in another way that I hope will make sense to us, what was it that made Mary be willing to let go of her ability to control her own life and hand over that control to someone else. I would say that she was able to say yes to God's plans for the future because she'd already seen how God had lovingly proved himself trustworthy in her past. That is precisely why we need to be grateful and to actively think about what God has given us in the past so that we can see that he is trustworthy and that this can then give us confidence moving forward that he will continue to provide for us, to give us everything that we need, which will help us to say yes to our vocation. I have it all the time in life where I'll come up to a moment where I'm like, I do not know how I'm going to get through this. And, and I will actually think to myself, I am not going to be able to get through this situation. And then I'll stop and I'll actually think, but wait a second, how many times in the past in my life have I told myself, I am not going to make it through this? Have I ever not made it through those situations? No. Like hundreds of times I've been like, this is horrible. This is the end. And it never is. Why? Because God is faithful and he always gives us what we need. The final thing that I want to point out comes from the continuation of Mary's yes. She says to the angel, be it done unto me according to thy word. That's the end of their conversation. The next encounter we see taking place is Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth. But there's one little line of text in scripture that happens in between these two encounters that can be so easy to miss or just kind of pass over like, ah, oh, whatever, it's just a little transition line. And that little line, it says this, it says, then Mary set out in haste and traveled to the hill country of Judah. Pretty simple, doesn't really seem to say much. It states very specifically that Mary went with great haste. 
She didn't take her time. She didn't procrastinate. She didn't wait for it to be convenient or for it to work into her schedule. She recognized the importance of it, and so she went. Too often, when it comes to following the inspiration that God puts on our own hearts, I think we can do the exact opposite of haste. Because again, maybe we want to test things out. We want to know what the end result's going to be first. We want proof that it's going to be safe. We want proof that there's not going to be any hardship to endure within it. We want to trust in a plan that we can set up more than we want to trust in God and his promise and his plan. We are called to respond with haste. God has a plan for you tonight as you pray. God has a plan for you for tomorrow and the day after that. God wants to give you something of great value tonight. You have an opportunity then to allow this gift to elicit a response from you as well. You can give a gift to God tonight. Give him the gift of your yes. Maybe this might possibly take the form of you saying yes to something that you have been discerning for a long time, but just haven't been able to find the way to take the leap of faith. Maybe you have no idea what God is calling you to. So you're like, well, how can I say yes if I don't know? No, you can still give your yes. You can give him the, the gift of the response of your yes to all that he's given you and to say yes simply by saying, God, I, even though I don't know what you're calling me to, even though I might have no idea at all, what I want to say to you, God, right now is that from the bottom of my heart that I am prepared and willing to say yes to whatever it is that you call me to when you do reveal it in the future. And I'd say for all of us, most likely, I know for myself, I think we always have ideas maybe of ways that we can better our relationship with the Lord. These ideas are always in mind. Was we better following the day-to-day callings that we receive? Maybe sometimes we follow them, maybe sometimes we don't. Well, tonight is a perfect time to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help you to say yes tonight to the things that we should have said yes to a long time ago. Tonight, rather than trying to think through whether or not it's prudent to go all in for the Lord, let's simply reach out with faith and run to the Lord in haste, like Mary, and repeat with her, Be it done unto me according to thy word.